It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's let's have a couple uh, words on the defense before we get out of here. Because yeah, I do think that to me, um, when you hold the team to ten points, you, you should win every time out. Uh, it, the fact that they won a game for the first time without scoring a touchdown in thirty years is somewhat <laughs> remarkable. Dave Wanstead was talking about that on Tuesday morning on the Mullen Haw Show. He was a coach the last time it happened, October third, nineteen ninety three, against the Falcons. Two Kevin Butler field goals. Do you know who the quarterback was that day? Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, they beat the Falcons six to nothing. Well, and lest you not forget, because everyone was bringing that game up in the tunnel after the game, lest you not forget that there was another Monday night miracle that happened where the Bears didn't score an offensive touchdown in Arizona in 2006. I'm not comparing the two, I'm just saying. <laughs> that was the second 2006 reference I heard today. Olin Cruz mentioned something on, <laughs> on the Mullen Haw show, too. So defensively, I felt like everybody in the secondary played well. I don't know about Eddie Jackson, to be honest with you. I think it, there was two plays that stood out to me that maybe are unfair until you watch it closely the again. Touchdown for sure. The touchdown, you, you can't stay, you can't keep that depth in the end zone. There's nobody that's going to hurt you there to catch the ball in front of you. It's six. Uh, I don't understand defensive backs who can't realize that better than they seem to. He did not get that. TJ Hawkinson scored. Another angle on another running back. He looked like he was an unwilling tackler. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't make a business decision. Other than that, Brisker with a pick. Kyler Gordon really is emerging as a physical player, more so than you would think looking at his frame. Terrell Smith, eight tackles. I know they were picking on him because they were going opposite Jalen Johnson, but then he was, he, I thought he was solid and reliable. Um, and Jalen Johnson, he dropped the pick six. He had the defensive holding. Those are negatives, but I do think he was everywhere and he was very efficient and exceptional in his coverage. And so that secondary played in a way that makes you want to trust it each and every time. So the Matador tackle that Eddie Jackson missed that you, you mentioned, that was even more glaring from the press box because you're just seeing that whole play unfold and you're like, oh, just get, ooh, wow, wow. got left in the dust there. It was one of those where you're like, wow, that was jarring. Eddie Jackson also gets credit for a pass breakup on the first pass of the game, which was not a pass breakup. Jordan Addison caught that football. The Vikings should have challenged and did not and cost themselves a 46-yard gain on the first play of the game when, as you mentioned, the, the Vikings went after Terrell Smith to test him out right away. Um, look, like the secondary did great things for the second straight week. They've got seven picks in two games here. Uh, you'd have to go back a hundred years to find uh, you know, a surge like this. Not that long, but um, it's been impressive, and they probably should add another pick six by Jalen Johnson, who, by the way, I asked after the the game on Monday night about that one that he missed. I mean, that is a a, a gift wrapped pick six that he dropped, and he had no excuses. He just said, "I don't know what's going on with my hands right now. They're not good, and I got to go work on them." And I think he's right. Like, I know Darnell Mooney's first purchase as a professional football player was a jugs machine that he put in his house. Jalen may want to uh, come back from wherever he's vacationing on the bye early and get over to Darnell's house for some more some more balls in the jugs machine, but he did look like that first interception, big deal. Uh, he was also 
responsible for the ricochet that resulted in TJ Edwards interception yep. later in the game. So a lot of good stuff on, on, on tape by Jalen right now. I just wonder like if we were sitting here and had a two game span where he had four interceptions and two pick sixes, what we'd be talking about in terms of what that was going to, going to cause uh, cost Ryan Poles out of his checkbook. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the, the definitely you pay for those kind of plays and, and I think that, uh, He's solid, but if you want to be spectacular, you got to make those plays. The linebackers were active. T.J. Edwards uh, has been their most consistent tackler and linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds flashed on a couple plays up front. You know, you saw Dexter be more visible, and and Justin Jones had the deflection. And then Montez Sweat dominated. I think he was dominant, or at least he was one of those things that you say in terms of being a multiplier. He looked like he was a multiplier on Monday night against the Vikings. What have I asked for from Montez Sweat? I've asked to feel his presence in every half of every game. That box was checked on Monday night without question. I also thought it was notable that Ryan Poles told the uh, Bears official pregame show uh, before Monday night's game that he spoke with Matt Eberflew specifically about having his best players on the field for key situations. So avid listener of the podcast, Ryan Poles, got the message from Take the North hosts, David Hall and Dan Wieterer, went to his coach, had a discussion about having your best players on the field in big moments, and uh, it, I don't know that it translated right away, but at least the discussion was had. What do you think about that in terms of him talking as openly as he did about it, volunteering that information, and what it means in terms of the general manager communicating with the head coach who he wants on the field? You know, honestly, the first thing I thought about when I listened to those comments was, Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Matt Eberflus wanted to take this job as an overseer. And in September of this year, they had to watch their defensive coordinator walk out the door with a abrupt and mysterious resignation. And Matt has now had to take on duties that prevent him from having a wide lens on everything that he probably needs to have a wide lens on. Right. And I think one of those things is, wait, Hey fellas, how come on, how come Tez isn't in the game? Instead of looking down at your sheet and figuring out what coverage you're going to call, what pressure you're going to bring on the next play, you can take a wider lens and you know who's in and out of there. And right now he's juggling so many duties that I think that's one of those things that slips through the cracks. I applaud Ryan Poles for being honest about it. I applaud him for going to his coach and saying, look, man, like I just gave up a second round pick and 60 plus million dollars in guaranteed money to this guy. Let's let him win us football games, you know? And it's going to help all of us if you if you have them out there. Something they got to get remedy. They've got five more games, and obviously, uh, talking about it, acknowledging the problem is the first step in solving the problem. So, what was it like inside a winning locker room? It's been a while since the Bears had won a game in the division since they won a game on the road in that kind of setting. Uh, anything stand out about covering a winning locker room? at U.S. Bank uh, Stadium. Well, you mentioned it. Long time since they had last won a division game alone, just a straight-up division game. The last time they won a division game, guess what? There was a embattled coach the week of Thanksgiving on the road in Detroit in a low-scoring game who won a game with a late Cairo Santos field goal in the final seconds. So the symmetry between <laughs> that division win that Matt Nagy had in the Patch.com week. The Patch.com game. Yes. Yeah, the Patch.com the week. Patch.com bowl. 
on Thanksgiving Day and what the Bears did last night in stealing a win that, that, you know, I mean, look, like I think we're all of the belief with five minutes to go in that game where it was like neither of this, these teams really deserves to win this game. It's been a, a, a tough to watch display of football and somebody's going to walk out of here with a victory. But the players, I think, feel a sense of reward of finally getting that finishing touch. You know, and I think when you talk to the leaders, the guys who who kind of rally this group, they know that it has to be consistent. They know that this has to happen far more often. But you certainly want to get one in your back pocket to be able to reflect back on when you get in another moment that way. And so I think there was some tangible satisfaction in that locker room Monday night for finally crossing that bridge, you know, and getting on the winning side of one of these game close games. Now you got to do it a couple times down the stretch to start to build that that juice and that belief that we talk about because look like again like the 2021 Lions won a couple games late that everyone in that building harkened back to as something that helped them when they got on their run in 2022 which ultimately became the catalyst for this dream season they're having in 2023 so it's never too early to start building your championship habits and your winning mindset Anything else that we haven't talked about that happened Monday night on Monday night football uh, or Tuesday at Hallis Hall in the aftermath of the Vikings 12 to 10 victory over Minnesota? Yeah, the only other couple things in my notepad here. Number one, Tevin Jenkins obviously left the field for a couple offensive series. He said after the game to a, a, a pool of reporters that it was a stinger again. He looked to be in significant discomfort. He and remember, he had that that stinger a year ago in the game. I think it was against the Eagles where he left soldier field and, and had to go to the hospital temporarily. So Tevin's coming back into that game was a big deal. He's continuing to play good ball, but that's something to, to keep an eye on as we go forward. And then I was curious what your thoughts were on the, the fourth and seven decision by Kevin O'Connell on the other sideline to go for it. Uh, Eddie Jackson kind of acknowledging to, to Brad Biggs after the game that looked like we were a little bit surprised by that. We thought they were just going to try to draw us into a penalty situation. And then when they snapped the ball, we had to go make a play and they made a, make a play. They did and got off the field resulting in good field position that the, the offense turned into points. I like Kevin O'Connell, but that was a dumb decision. You, you start out on uh, the first series of the second half and the first four minutes of the second half and the last four of the first half are when games are typically won or you look for momentum swings, and he gave it back to the Bears. Now, if you make it, you look like a genius, but you got Josh Dobbs, at quarterback, and you're in a game that's going to be a tight one. I don't understand why he didn't play the field position game at that point. Fourth and seven isn't fourth and two, isn't fourth and three. Not as easy to make, so I was a little surprised, and, and I think he kind of gifted that one, that possession to the Bears. Look, for a while, the Bears weren't taking advantage of these opportunities, so maybe that was in the back of his mind. Uh, it, it was that it, it was going to come down to which team wanted it less. <laughs> the, yeah. That was that was a story of the game. It was as confusing as Matt Eberflus's inconsistency <laughs> early fourth and ten. Oh, let's go for it! You know, down they get the seven yard line. Let's kick the field goal. I don't know that it was a clinic on head coaching acumen uh, on Monday night, and that Kevin O'Connell decision uh, to start the third quarter was just just another example.